Hello, and welcome to another episode of Rewired Podcast. I'm Kelly, and uh, once again, we don't have Bailey here today. She's with my beautiful little nephew, Isaiah. Hopefully, we'll have her back at some point later in the summer. But in the meantime, I have a guest today, and his name is John Orlando from PBDCast. And John, we met you through Twitter, and it's always great to come across people that interact with our tweets and who love The Wire as much as we do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your podcast and how you came to know The Wire. Sure, definitely. Uh, well, uh, as you eloquently put, I am the uh, man behind the PVD cast, which is a uh, podcast that I've been doing for eight years now. It's um, kind of, I like to call it my personal podcast because I talk about things I'm really passionate about, um, comics and movies and hockey and pro wrestling and just things that I think are, are, are cool. And actually, the way that uh, I met you, Kelly, was because I had the pleasure uh, in May of talking with uh, Jill Redding, who played Dolores in season two of The Wire. And uh, it was it was really kind of cool that I when I saw that uh, you had retweeted a couple of my uh, my hype jobs for that episode, I was like, oh, my gosh, there's there's somebody else that loves The Wire as much as I do. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so you've talked about The Wire on your podcast uh, mm-hmm. a few times. And so why do you like talking about The Wire? Like, what keeps you coming back? You know what? That's a great question. Um, I just kind of really, really enjoyed the show. And and I'm going to take a step back. I originally got clued into The Wire because I started watching Homicide Life on the Street, which is David Simon's first kind of project. Yeah. And that show was really well done in in terms of the acting, in terms of the premise that this is the homicide police and they show up after everything's done. And it's more like them piecing together the case. Um, I found the two detectives, Bayless and Pemberton, to be just amazing in their chemistry. So I became a fan of that show. And so I had had other friends that had told me, oh, you should check out The Wire. You should check out The Wire. You should check out The Wire. And uh, I eventually did. And I probably shouldn't admit this, but I had a buddy that had the entire season on DVD. And he kind of made me copies of them, which I don't think think that's proper to do anymore. (laughs) But um, he was like, yeah, man, I'll make copies of it. And then you can watch it. You can see how great it is. I'm like, okay, cool. You know? And I remember vividly, 10 years ago, uh, 2011, I started watching it over the summer, and I just got hooked. And there would be nights where I would start at 8 p.m., and the next thing I know, it would be 2 in the morning, and I'd be like, I got to go to bed, because I got to get up in the morning. I got to do stuff. But I just got roped into um, the storylines, the characters, the the different levels. That's what I enjoy about it, is that there's multiple levels uh, to whatever's going on in the episode or within the season. Yeah, it's so true. And I like that you said that your your friend, um, you know, we'll say lent you the DVDs, which is <laughs> it's essentially the same thing, which is how my yeah. sister Bailey got me onto the show, which she had every season on DVD and lent them to me. And I find that there's kind of this network of people who are evangelists for The Wire, who, you know, say, you need to watch The Wire, you need to watch The Wire, which is me, I'm like that. And they get people in, and and they kind of um, pull in new viewers that way. I don't know if it's a show that is 
um, attracting audiences either then or now through just kind of promotion online or um, showing up in like the recommended dramas section of Crave. I don't know if it is like that because it seems like maybe there's an almost intimidation factor with The Wire. And it is very dense with, um, I mean, we talked about this on our podcast before. It's very dense with information. It doesn't give you a lot off the start. You know, you have to really be paying attention and it's not the kind of show that you can chit chat and still understand what's going on. But were you watching by yourself or were you watching with anybody? And, and what was that experience like being alone and and maybe having questions as it started? Uh, I watched the first time through by myself. And then about two, three years later, I watched with an ex-girlfriend. We watched the season through again during a summer. And, you know, I feel like um, even that second time around was was fantastic. And, you know, I picked up little tidbits of things I didn't notice during the first viewing. But on the other hand, I have a cousin who watched season one and watched a couple episodes of season two and said, I I don't like this show. I'm like, what? How do you not like this show? He just he didn't dig it. Um, I don't know, because, again, I think it was a little deeper than what he was used to. I actually have another friend too that I just a podcast pal that I recommended and he um he watches a lot of TV because he works from home. He's worked for home pre-COVID. So he always has TV on in the background and so he's always like he goes I tried to watch the wire John but he goes I ended up not paying attention to work and ended up watching the show. Oh, well. <laughs> and he goes I thought I was going to get in trouble. So he goes the Wire has to be like a non-work TV show. And I'm like, I get you, man, because you got to pay attention. Otherwise, you're not seeing who's who and what's happening. And you got to connect all the dots. I actually, I respect that he said, oh, I'm not paying attention to work. I was worried you were going to say that he was doing his work and not paying attention to the show. So if, <laughs> if, if it's a choice between the two, like I advocate for paying attention to The Wire. But you're absolutely right. It's not background viewing. Um, Even like going back, like I've watched the series um, quite a number of times now, like probably 10 times. And even still, I I don't really do the background viewing because, as you said, when I go back, I I pick up more and more um, each time. And so do you find that when you rewatched it, there were... Uh, it like it was connecting even more dots and you had a richer experience when you get to view it once more all the way through. Yeah, I think that second time through, um, you know, and, and then to be honest, I've watched episodes here and there, but not like an entire season. Yeah. Um, you know, after that second viewing. So but I, I will say right now, I'm kind of now itching to do another <laughs> another binge of the series uh, because I've been <laughs> I was doing some research today and I'm like, man, I probably need to do this again. It's been it's been a few years. We need to do another binge and watch the entire series. Uh, but to answer your question, Kelly. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that much like any show or, or any movie, the more times you watch it, you pick up on things. And, you know, I, I, you know, for one, really picked up on, you know, just those subtle things that you didn't realize. Like, you know, uh, for an example, I think one of the things that I kind of really didn't quite grasp was, um, and we're going to talk about Bill Rolls, but like some of the little idiosyncrasies that he had, you know, because there's a lot of things like, you know, as you mentioned, you, you sent over a clip to talk about, 
he hates McNulty, but in the in the scene in the hospital after Kima was shot, um, there's some tough love and some compassion in a very weird way uh, with Rawls and McNulty that I don't think I picked up on the first time I watched it. Agreed. Yeah, we will talk about those clips in just a moment, but sure. I well, just one more question. I like to ask everybody this: uh, What's your favorite season and why? Ooh. Um. Ooh, um, that's a hard question. If it's an easier question, tell me your least favorite season. And oh, five. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a unanimous response. Although, a lot of people dislike season two as well, um, which, you know, it's a shame because I think season two is so wonderful. But, yeah, season five is kind of generally the, everyone's thinks it's the lowest yeah. rated um, it's, is it too hard for you to choose between like maybe one, three, and four, or one, two, three, and four? What's your favorite? I, you know what? I think I think I'll go with three because of more of the politics that is involved with Carcetti and you know in that whole storyline. Um, I think that that to me probably I found more interesting, like the ins and outs of how the mayor works and, and with the police and that, I think that that would probably be the season I would go with. That's a good choice. I, I really like watching Carcetti as well. Um, just a fascinating character, but yeah. Um, what the wire does, which I think is so great is each season kind of builds on the previous. So you get this tapestry of uh, institutions or um, facets of modern American life that start to, work together. And by the time we're at season three, that's when we do see that, yes, the politics are very much uh, entrenched with mm -hmm. the drug war and the, the criminal levels of um, the game, as they say. So Yeah, and, and also, too, how, like, Carcetti has to play kind of the race card, so to speak. He's got to, you know, I... I you got to go meet with this pastor who's African-American. You got to go meet with this African-American leader because they don't trust you because you're the white dude, you know? And I think that that was, to me, also fascinating that, you know, not only did you have to, if you were Tommy Carcetti, you're trying to get everybody to vote for you, but you specifically have to make sure that you have the black vote, which is, I mean, I'm sure that's nothing, it's not shocking that that happens, but I think at at that local level, in the in the universe of the wire i was kind of like oh yeah i guess that that's how it would have to work i guess it it, it was enlightening there's or, the word i'm kind of or looking to for. strategically split that demographic oh, between correct. tony gray and the incumbent mayor uh which is sort of what he ends up doing for a good while through the campaign um yeah very very interesting um so bill rawls and i'm so happy <laughs> that this was your suggestion about talking about bill rawls and I'm curious as to what made you suggest that. I'm, I'm happy you did, but I, I want to hear a little bit more about your thinking. Okay. Um, well, I will say this. There's two reasons why I picked uh, Rawls. One, I think John Doman has, did a fantastic job. There could not be... I can't think of another person that they could cast and put in as Bill Rawls. I, I feel like he really, really owned that role. Um, and I think that there is a, a huge question mark surrounding Bill Rawls that my friends and I discussed quite a bit, especially when we uh, finished season three, that 
I don't know if there's ever been clarification on. Maybe there has been. Maybe David Simon has commented or, or one of the showrunners have commented. But at this point, I, it's it's foreign to me. And the question is, is Bill Rolls gay? Yeah. Because he shows up in the one bar uh, that uh, Brother Mazone had sent Lamar in to do recon on Omar Little. And he just, he leaves, Lamar leaves, excuse me, and, and there's Bill Rawls there yeah. having a drink. And I think that, you know, when you when you look at the character of Walt Rawls, he's so crass. He's so rude. He's so, like, at points, uber machismo. And I, it just has always been a question of mine of, like, well, was that all a front? Or, you know, and my friends and I always debated it. Does he, is he questioning his sexuality? I mean, I don't know. I think that that's what makes him very interesting in terms of, you know, he presents one side of the uh, of his personality, but is that the entire personality for Bill Rawls? Yeah, that's um, definitely a scene that lots of people go back to and have questions about, including Bailey and I have mentioned that before on our podcast. And um, one of the things that I really appreciate about The Wire and respect about The Wire is that there are um, characters who are LGBTQ or or diverse in their sexuality who Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be a driving the plot storyline. It's just presented as as part of their character. So Omar, who is um, this very fearsome, tough, uh, masculine gangster, like, you know, rip and run, but he's also gay. But that's not really like an arc. Same with Kima. You know, she just is presented as gay. And there's a a hilarious line. I think it's, it's either Carver or... Kirk, I don't remember which one, but says, if you don't mind me asking, like, when did you first figure you liked women? And she says, I mind you asking. And then, it, you know, it carries on. Um, and so I wonder if Rawls in that scene, is it kind of um, just carrying on that style of presenting various facets without feeling the need to further explore or offer explanation or, um, I guess, um, dissect that plot. Um, but I'm not sure. I mean, this is a very curious scene because Rawls also wears a wedding ring throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I'm glad you brought that up because I don't well, know. I don't think there is a, a definitive answer. And, and this would not probably be the first time that, um, this question would come up in a David, a David Simon uh, production because in Homicide Life on the Street, um, in I want to say it was season four or season five of that show, Detective Bayless, there's a big question mark about his own sexuality and he starts questioning his own sexuality. He is not married. Uh, he is a single man and that is established early on in the, in the series that he's single. And so I, I think maybe that just might be that particular topic, that particular path that a character has to take is something that David Simon puts, you know, he had it in Homicide, maybe puts it in The Wire. Yeah. You know, and and goes from there as that big question that uh, whatever character it is has to kind of deal with and cope with and come to terms with. Um, That makes sense. I have to admit, I I didn't watch Homicide Life on the Street yet. (laughs) I will, (laughs) at least soon. 
Um, so I will know more once I take the chance to watch it. But um, there was, someone made a comment, I believe it was on Reddit, and I will go back and, and find it so that I can credit this person properly. But they noted that Rawls often uses this kind of homophobic, um, insulting language when he's going after somebody, as though it might be a sort of internalized homophobia. And so the first clip, um, or one of the two clips that I sent you, is our first introduction to Rawls. And this is, like, just one of the most beautiful scenes in the show, I think, and it's from the pilot. So we'll watch that scene, everybody. Sit the fuck down, detective. Something wrong? Put your ass in the chair. You see these, McNaughty? You see them? These are for you. These are for you for as long as it takes me to get even. Major, what no, 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 don't major me, you backstabbing, smart-ass piece of shit. What the fuck you doing over at the courthouse anyway? Why the fuck are you talking to some shitbag judge? These are for you, McNaughty. This one over here is going up your narrow fucking Irish ass. And this bad boy over here is in your fucking eye. I'm upstairs answering questions about some project nigger I never even heard of who's supposed to have beat my unit out of ten murders. Three. They only beat three in court. I got the deputy asking about ten. Well, no, they did ten. We only charged them with three. You're full of shit. Well, sir, you can check the files. Maurice Scroggins, Toreen Boyd, Roland Leggett. What's the name? The girl they found in the stairwell in Saratoga. Colette something or other. I mean, Major, these guys are real. They beat me up on the Gerard Bogue case, just like they did Barlow. Scroggins? I don't have an H file on Scroggins. He was last year, summer. Two in the back of the head, low-rise courtyard. Let me understand something. You were having the deputy bust my balls over a prior year case? Is this what I need from you, you insubordinate little fuck? Major, look, I'm really sorry. Phelan, he and I, we, we go back a little, you know? He wanted to know what I know about the crew in his court. I didn't mean to cross you I up. had to go upstairs knowing nothing and explain to the deputy why he's getting calls about murders that don't mean a shit to anybody. Look, sir, this judge, he fucks me up. He asked me a question, I answer it. I didn't know he was going to call anybody. You have my attention, detective. My complete, undivided attention. Yes, sir. Where are you going? I'm eight to four. No. You're typing. Sir? Deputy wants a report on his desk at 0800. A report? Clean, no typos. Make it look right, then put my name on it. Do you want to reference all the murders, or should I soft-pedal that? Fucking horses out the barn door, right? Let's try not to make me look stupid twice. And when you list the cases, put a little dot next to each one. Deputy likes dots. I'm sorry, Major, really. Okay, so now that we've watched that scene, 
um, you know, he's, he uses language like, you know, these are for you, like, this one's going up your narrow fucking Irish ass. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just one example. Like, there's there's more of that sort of language uh, throughout the series. And so I'm wondering what you think about that, John. Like, One of the theories that, that my friends and I discussed was this idea of being insecure with your sexuality and being somewhat of a self-loathing type of person. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and that's kind of, that's kind of, I agree with my friend on that. I felt like that's what Rawls was, was that he has this conflict of what he quote unquote should be versus what he feels. And there's like that, you know, it's that clash inside of himself. And it emanates out into, you know, the way he handles um, his, his uh, police force. I mean... His his actions at the Comstat meetings were just absolutely brutal. The way yeah. he undressed people. Yeah. Um. So I I think it's I'm leaning towards that. I think that he is a, a confused individual when it comes to his sexuality, and that he's got this 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 anger inside of him because he doesn't know what to do. Um. And and that's that's the avenue I'm going to go with. If if I may, real quick, I do want to say what you said was absolutely true. That scene. Um, uh, with uh, the first interaction of McNulty and and Rawls is beautifully done, and honestly, not kind of the way that I, as I look back at it today, not the way that I would have thought that that meeting would have went. There seems to be like this, and that's what makes John Doman so great. There seems to be like this, um, kind of like Jaws. You know the shark's coming, but it, there's this calmness. Yeah, does that make sense? Yes, but tell me a little bit more. So when you say it didn't go the way you expected, you mean when you go back and and see it again? Yes, when I go back and watch it again, I, I kind of was I kind of was like, well, I I honestly I didn't remember that interaction going that calm and that smooth. Uh, I expected it was going to be more of unbelievable cursing and you know tearing him a new one. Yeah, and I was like, oh yeah, that that actually didn't happen that way, and and like I said. To me, I thought today, I was like, it's like Jaws. Like, you know the shark's coming. You could literally probably hear the dun-dun, dun-dun, dun <laughs> And it's going to come. And it doesn't come in that scene either. It, 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 it's kind of, that's the setup. You know that somewhere down the road, you know, like for an example, when, when um, in season five, when McNulty finally, it's revealed that he's behind the whole scam to get money for overtime. And, and there's oh, that scene yeah. with Daniels and and and. Rawls in the uh, uh, in the box, so to speak, and they're just—I mean, Rawls right there is just again violent, but yet under control and calm, and and that's also, I think, more mixed to why he's such a fascinating character. Let's take a moment to watch that scene as well because I love it. Okay. He's okay. Last I checked. Good. That's a start. I guess. I thought you got a message. Copycat. I got nothing on this one. Jesus. How'd you do it? How'd you get him by the medical examiner? Some are real, I just linked them with the ribbons. Some I juked to strangle jobs. If it matters, I know now. Fuck what you know now. This was all for money, McNulty. You couldn't live without the OT. The Stanfield case. It was that. I know where it went, but you got paid, too. 
you and Freeman and maybe a dozen other guys. It wasn't about the money. Down the road when we settle on this, and we will settle on this, I don't expect any of you will ever see another hour of OT again. I don't expect any of you will be doing police work ever again. And the only reason this isn't before a grand jury right now is because our mayor can't live with that. Oh, yeah. The mayor knows your name. So this is your last case. Work it. If you're a head detective, you think you are. You'll put this one down fast and take us all off the hook. The longer this goes on, the worse the payback's going to be. Okay, now one of the things I love about that is that, like you said, it's it's a very controlled um, sort of demeanor, you know, like, you're not killing them yourself, McNulty, at least tell me that, right? <laughs> yeah. Conversational, and I wonder if that kind of speaks a little bit to what you um, suggested about... Um, Rawls, if he does have some either question marks or or not uh, open with his sexuality, at least in the department, if that is a measure of control. And so if he's, you know, used to either controlling anger or controlling his personal life or um, whatever it may be, that we kind of see that play out in, in a number of different scenes. Um, he also... I kind of see Rawls and Valchek as not um, not parallel. That's not really the right word, but they're kind of comparable in in some ways in that they are the brass of these two different sides. And I think maybe Valchek has a little bit less of that control, and maybe that at least I interpret Valchek as being a little bit more on the side of comedic relief than Rawls is. And we see Valchek, this lack of control um, when he's with, uh, it's like Ronnie and Daniels and everyone, and he says, you know, where's, I'm not seeing Frank Sabatka. Where's Frank Sabatka? Where's his, I'm not seeing his name. Um, I, I think some of that scene is played for laughs. Mm. And mm-hmm. when, when Rawls is being controlled is when I think it's not played for laughs. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you bring up a very interesting point because one of the other things that I always kind of marveled at Rawls about is he never takes responsibility for anything. Mm-hmm. Like he <laughs> he is not uh, the type of leader that accepts you know the mistakes of his of his crew. I mean, especially I can think of like in season two, especially early on in those first few episodes, he does not want the fourteen bodies on his on his chart. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like absolutely not. It's somebody else's problem. And and if I'm not mistaken, it's, it's Freeman and Bunk, if I remember correctly, they get kind of like ripped a new one because they stumbled across it. And it's it, it's amazing because we're talking about control. And and this is a little side note, but maybe this is another example of that because I don't want to take responsibility for. It. I can't control 
those 14 dead bodies on, on at the Patapsco. So, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And then I think that's a great point because then when we see him running the Comstat meetings and really laying into the um, majors of various districts who aren't juking the stats or at least not juking them well enough, maybe that anger that we see, and it, it is much more intense than in previous examples, but that anger from Rawls is maybe a lack of control because he can't control their stats. They need to do mm. themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so then he says, you're relieved of duty. Like next person in the chair, you're up. Um, because he can't kind of keep that white knuckle grip on the statistics when he becomes further removed and moves higher up this chain of command. Yeah, and, you know, I, I think of the CompStat meeting, I think that, you know, again, going along with this idea of control, which I think we've narrowed down as probably the big <laughs> personality trait or flaw uh, with Rawls, is, you know, when Bunny uh, Colvin starts uh, Hamsterdam, like, that's totally out of his control, and he is livid. I, I, was, I was surprised, and here's one thing, re-watching some of these clips, I totally forgot how absolutely pissed Burrell was. Um about what Colvin was doing, but still, like, to me, there seemed to be this, you know, shock and lack of control that you got this renegade uh, sergeant doing this, legalizing drugs, essentially, if you want to call it that, and, and, and blows Roll's mind. Yeah, and I think um, the lack of control is a good way to put it, especially because even just our first introduction, that scene we already talked about, the reason he's angry is not because Avon is dropping bodies or the Barksdale organization is running the street. That's not why. He's angry because McNulty went around him and he couldn't control the narrative in a sense. And so mm -hmm. he, like, I think, and we see that Rawls is a real company man and, and towing the company line in a lot of ways. And that is about control. And so maybe that is what suits him and, and what makes him like good police at the upper echelons of the department <laughs> is because it, it comes down to controlling and filtering and manipulating the information. And, and it served him well because as we find out in season five, he's what the assistant superintendent or the superintendent. I don't remember what his title was. Well, he ends up as a, the, um, I, I think it's the equivalent of commissioner, but for state troopers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's not of the Baltimore PD. It's of the state troopers. Yeah. It makes sense because it doesn't seem like he really wants to be doing serious police work. Like, I, he, I, it seems like he wants to just be part of this bureaucratic organization and maybe it's policing, maybe it's not. So he ends up as a state trooper, and which is what he wanted, right? Yeah. I mean, he wanted a cushy office job, I think, more so than, you know, doing good old-fashioned police work. Yeah, and, you know, maybe the, I think um, that's a, a way of thinking about why does he have such um, conflict with some of the people who are presented as good police. McNulty being one of them, even though he has some character flaws, but also Freeman, 
Um, mm-hmm. You know, he has a lot of issues when Freeman wants to work the court case properly or the vacants properly. And, you know, Freeman says, like, did you just fuck me without even giving the chance to something? And then um, I, I think maybe that is an example of when we see that he is kind of chafing with what it means to be good police. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Rawls is certainly uh, a complicated character. I think we can all agree on that. But we have to talk about the scene in the hospital after Akima gets shot. Sure, sure. Um, so just a moment, we'll play that scene. Listen to me, you fuck. You did a lot of shit here. You played a lot of fucking cards, and you made a lot of fucking people do a lot of fucking things they didn't want to do. This is true. We both know this is true. Dr. Ralston, please call Dr. Ralston. You and McNulty are a gaping asshole. We both know this. Fuck if everybody in CID doesn't know it. But fuck if I'm going to stand here and say you did a single fucking thing to get a police shot. You did not do this, you fucking hear me? This is not on you. No, it isn't, asshole. Believe it or not, everything isn't about you. And the motherfucker saying this? He hates your guts, McNulty. So you know if it was on you, I'd be the son of a bitch to say so. Shit went bad. She took two for the company. That's the only lesson here. Okay, and so this is a moment when some people might say, like, it reveals a humanity or an empathy in Rawls. What do you think, Don? Uh, I agree. I think that um, it does show some sympathy, at, but it's a very tough love type of, of sympathy, you know. Um, as he says in that clip, like, he, you know, he thinks that McNulty's a giant gaping asshole and he hates him. And if there was anyone that would, like, uh, you know... If McNulty was at fault, he would make sure he knew it. And, you know, this wasn't on him. It shows a weird type of sympathy and empathy uh, to Jimmy McNulty. Um, And again, I don't know if there's any other instances of that in this whole series. Can you think of any? Oh, gosh. That's a good question. Not really off the top of my head. Um, Can't think either. You're right about the tough love. And I think that's another example of him exacting control. Like maybe not wanting to be um, overtly emotional or nice even. Like I don't think we really see him ever be nice. Unless he's kind (laughs) of like greasing someone's palm like Carcetti or the mayor when he has to perform niceness for his own gain. Right. Which then makes you wonder, is it really being nice and being sincere if it's for your own gain? Yeah. I I don't think he's shown any decent human qualities other than this one instance. <laughs> You're right. Like this one instance, I think is the closest we see to get to <laughs> nice in, in scare quotes and it's when he's probably, you know, sounds the most aggressive, vulgar, like cursing, but it's his 
closest approximation to niceness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it is. It's very interesting to see. In this scene, real quick, if I may, Kelly, this yeah. scene also makes me wonder. I wish there was a scene or a couple of scenes of Rawls at home, you know, with his wife. I don't know. I think they mentioned he had kids. I'm not sure on that. I'm not 100% sure on that. But I would have liked to seen a couple of scenes of Rawls at home with the wife and the family. Yeah. If, if he does have one. I think that that would have been... And and that watching these clips again made me think about yeah you know what I remember thinking that would be cool to see, um, so I don't know yeah maybe um, it's kind of um, we don't really get to like pull the curtain back not just Rawls but a few of the police we only get the one glimpse of what they're all about and I know like you somebody could make the argument that I'm about to mention minor characters but. Landsman, we never see yeah. his personal life. Rawls, we never see his personal life. Valchek, we never see his people. Um, we never see uh, Varel's loved ones. We don't see, well, we, sorry, we see Krasbo's wife briefly. Yes. Um, I don't know about, we don't get too much about Carver and, and Herc no, either. I mean, we get a little bit more than some of the other characters. But, but we, we never see them, them at, at home. Like, we don't know anything no. about their home. Um, and mm-hmm. they are probably, arguably, as main as, uh, you know, somebody like McNulty. Um, and so I think that's probably an artistic choice to kind of show that the job is the defining characteristic of, of who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it would be very interesting to see what that's like. And uh, especially if there are these question marks around um, if he's performing his sexuality or, or whatever would be the right way to phrase that. <laughs> Sorry for not being eloquent with that. But um <laughs> It's uh, it's a little bit different than some of the other industries that we see where you get a little bit more of a glimpse. Like on the port, we well, we don't see Sabatka's wife, but we do see um, Nick and Ziggy kind of interacting with family. We see a lot of people on the street like D'Angelo and, and uh, Avon like interacting with family. Um, Carcetti, certainly, we see interacting with family. So... Um, but one question I have for you, John, is how do you interpret Rawls as far as comic relief? Because there are some scenes with Rawls that I laugh at. I think they're quite funny. And in a show like The Wire, we need to laugh every now and then. Um, but how how does that sit with you? And what are some of the, the moments or examples that kind of make you chuckle? Um, I think one, wow, you really put me on the spot with that commercial or with that question. Um, (laughs) that's okay. Uh, with Rawls, I, yeah, I agree with you. There's this kind of macho, um, vulgar type of comedy with him, you know, um, geez, uh, I'm trying to think if there's some things that made me laugh. Well, I mean, I, I think the one thing, the one bit of levity that he provided is I remember because again, I just rewatched a, a clip. I believe when the, um, 
state patrol, the state trooper was in, trying to pawn the bodies off on him. And Rawls has the, you know what, you need a cup of coffee. And he leaves, and everybody's like quiet, like, oh, God, are we going to get these bodies? And he walks, and he gets the the coffee, and then, you know, Landsman wants to know what's going on. And he walks, and he gets to the office door, and he puts his fist up in the air, and everybody goes bonkers, you know, even very quietly, you know. So I think that that's a little bit of the, that's the only example I can think of right off the top of my head. That's a good one. Uh, I like that scene as well. The other one that makes me laugh is, I believe it's either episode two or three from the first season, but the story breaks about the state's witness and it's in the newspaper and Rawls comes out of the office and says, McNulty, you know, where is that asshole or something like that? And Lance says, oh, he's detailed. And Rawls goes, I know he's detailed. I fucking already know that. (laughs) He kicks over the desk or he sweeps all the things off the desk. And then it's like, "Mm, that's Crutchfield's desk. McNulty sits over there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. I get a kick out of that. Maybe that's kind of more the comedy could be attributed to Landsman, but um, it's sort of uh, trying to exact this real authoritative <laughs> moment, and then it's like a little bit of a whoopsie. <laughs> and I, th- yeah. I think that's kind of a funny, funny time. But um, if if I can, I can I tell you my favorite comedic scene in yes. the in the wire it has nothing to do with Rawls. That's though. okay. Is the meeting that. Stringer Bell had at the funeral home where the guy's taking notes on the yellow pad <laughs> and he comes over and knocks it out of his hand and goes, are you taking notes on a criminal conspiracy, motherfucker? Like, I laughed into, I was in tears with that and I loved it. Oh, it was, was hilarious. So funny. There was a few funny moments in that scene. Um, oh, yeah, you know, Cherry, recognize your ass and then he has to like raise his hand, Bodie has to raise his hand even though he was hardly yeah. speaking. And then he's like, Poop did have the floor. This motherfucker's too ignorant to have the floor. It's, um, I think one of the reasons that's so funny is that we see this collision between what you might call like this corporate, um, corporate world or corporate processes, political processes even, and the game or street life. Um, and these characters who are in the drug trade trying to navigate both and not necessarily knowing how to do that in some instances like when stringer wants to like say no you i don't want you to talk and this motherfucker is too ignorant to have the floor and then the best line which is like imminently quotable adjourn your asses (laughs) yeah (laughs) Well, I think the other, another funny moment for me is, and I think it would have been early season three or maybe late season two, when, uh, when Brother Mazone is called in and everybody's freaking out like, oh, no, Brother Mazone's coming. And when you finally meet Brother Mazone, you're like, that's not what I anticipated at all. Like, yeah. this petite, small, Nation of Islam looking dude who's a badass, by the way. But you're like, what? Because I expected like some, the way they were hyping him up, I expected somebody like, you know, uh, Tiny Lister, you know, Debo from like Friday. That's who I was thinking. Some muscle bound dudes or coming. Like a gonna... Slim Charles, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Like Slim Charles. Like, I'm like, I'm expecting that type of dude. And then it's, it's, it's this guy. And I thought that was a very funny visual 
uh, gag. Yes, and I I think it's needed in The Wire. It is a heavy show. It's like steeped in realism, and we need those moments every so often to kind of like be able to laugh at something. Otherwise, it might just be too much. But um, I appreciate that Rawls gives us that every now and then. Yes, very much so. Um, anything else you want to say about Rawls, John? No, I think we've covered that character in depth. Um, you know, he's just a, he's a complex person that I think we've nailed it, Kelly, likes to have control. He's a little bit of a control freak. Control? And I think that that... <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I... you know, the control freak runs through the wire in a number of different places. I think um, we see that in a few different people. And maybe that speaks to kind of the critique of these various institutions, which is what the wire mm-hmm. is. But, mm-hmm. um, John, thank you so much for talking about The Wire with me and talking about Rawls. Tell us what you're up to next, um, what you've got coming up, and where people can uh, either listen to you or, or check out your latest content. Cool. Thank you. Um, well, I have two podcasts I work on. Uh, the PVD cast, which is my personal podcast that I talked about at the beginning of the episode, and I drop episodes every Thursday. Uh, you can find them at my website, pvdcast.com, but they're also available through you know all those major podcasting platforms like Spotify and iHeartRadio and, and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we'll share some links. Has it, sure, yes. Um, as I mentioned, episode 283 back in uh, uh, May, my conversation with Jill Redding was fantastic. Uh, I'm looking to have her back on in the fall because we, we only talked about the stuff she did with David Simon and that was 45 minutes in itself. And she has a lot of other things that I'd love to talk to her about. So definitely going to have her back on. Um, but yeah, definitely check out the PVD cast. Um, I also have another project that I work on um, because not only do I love the wire, uh, I love a lot of TV shows. I'm sure you're the same way, Kelly. I'm sure you have plenty of favorites. <laughs> I used to, but then The Wire ruined the rest of them. Oh. <laughs> I have favorites that are like from the 90s. <laughs> okay. Oh, the wire. Well, I have I have a, a, a soft spot, a, a, a guilty pleasure for the NBC courtroom drama Matlock, as does my partner Jason. So we decided to start a, uh, a Matlock-themed podcast last year. So Matt Talk is the name of that particular podcast. We drop episodes on the second and fourth Mondays of every month where we just take an episode and we watch it, we critique it, we discuss it, we poke fun at it because, you know, it's it's hokey at times. Uh, we have a good time with that. That's available over at uh, anchor.fm slash Matt Talk and also it's available through um, our Facebook page, which is Matt Talk Podcast. That's all one word. And uh, lastly, um, this news just came about this week um, here in Columbus, Ohio. We have a, uh, a thing called the Columbus Podcast Awards, and both of my projects have been nominated. And I really honestly, I know it's cliche, but I'm so humbled and so uh, shocked that I was nominated. But the PVD cast is nominated for um, the Society and Culture category. And Matt Talk is also nominated in the film and TV category. Uh, I would ask, Kelly, if, if your listeners like what they heard tonight and they check out other uh, episodes of the PVD Caster Matt Talk and they would like to vote, please do. The website is columbuspodcastawards.com slash nominations. Um, I would appreciate it so much 
if you would vote for me. Um. Absolutely. <laughs> we we love your work and we'll share Thank that you. Uh, on our various pages because And I assure you I'm not crooked like Senator Clay Davis. <laughs> so voting for me is fine. Uh, yes, of course. No, we, we, we trust you and uh, okay. we'd be happy to share that. John, thank you so much for being here. I hope that we can have you back again soon. And Absolutely. If anyone is looking for John's uh, content or their his social media, we'll share all of that in our show notes as well. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you so much. Bye. We'll see you next time. Way down in the hole.